0: Thank you, Brother Joe, and good morning. God is good all the time. time. Yes, he is. He is. He is sovereign, and he is good. My microphone is falling apart in me here. We'll get it fixed in a while. Just be patient with me. I trust you appreciate the tremendous powers I have. I brought the backmans to church with me this morning. And I send your pastor to a black church, <laughs> and a black man turns up to this white church. How good is that? You see, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that's the church out of many. One people. So we come this morning not as strangers, not as foreigners, but as a people of God, chosen by God, called by God, commissioned by God. And every one of us in this church this morning has been given a special gift by God by which he expects us to participate with him in missions. I quoted at the Sunday school class at which I was privileged to participate in a discussion uh, with uh, Pastor Joe that St. Augustine has said that God has chosen fishermen to win princes and not vice versa, lest it be thought it is of man and not of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. I'm looking around for a clock. I'm going to use my own watch. Usually when I speak, this black West Indian man, when he's preaching in churches, they make sure that they have a clock position in a prominent place so that he can see it. There is one? Oh yes, there is one up there. Why are you so anxious telling me yes? I don't want to see it. You've heard the story of the man who went to church and was unfamiliar about what they were doing, to, doing in church. So he went with his friend and, and his, his friend said, look, be at peace, I will tell you exactly what everything means. So, when they announced to him, they asked the people to join in the singing of him. The people would stand. He said, You stand up. So the man would stand up and join in the singing. And when the minister said, Let us pray, he said, That means that you bow your heads and your head and you close your eyes. Until he says, Amen, you can come up. When he says a final amen, you come up. So the man. Uh, Followed carefully. And then when they were taking up the offering, he said to his friend, he said, What does that mean? Do I take out from the plate? The man says, No, you put in. You don't take out. And so things were going very well. Time came for the sermon. The preacher came to the pulpit, and he took off his watch and put it in the pulpit. He says, What does that mean? And the man says, That means Nothing. (laughs) I hope you got it. You're laughing. You're laughing nervously. With the ushers close the door, we're going to be here for a while. See, that's why I don't come too often. They can't stand me here too often. They bring me only periodically for a short period of time. It is a joy to be at Orangewood Press whenever I come to this church I feel as if I'm coming home. Let us hear the word of the Lord as it is recorded in uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, It came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah... And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, all great and all aspiring, awesome God, you keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you. And have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the furthest part, of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, I pray Please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was a king's kabera. One of the things that strikes one when you look at this passage is this is the prominence with which the name of God is used and referred to. Thirty three times in one chapter. There is reference to God by the pronouns I, me, myself, or with reference to his activities, you and your. God, as it were, flows out of the chapter. He is prominent. In it, he is central to it. It is all about God. Whenever we engage in ministry, whenever we engage in the building of the kingdom of God. We must remember without any equivocation. That it is God who begins. It is God who will end. It is God who is working now. Thank you. Didn't know you had it in you. <laughs> you see in the building of the kingdom of God. It is not accomplish by our resolve. It is not accomplished by our good intentions. It is not accomplished by our hard work. It is not accomplished by our resources. It is accomplished by God's initiative and God's work. So that effective partnership in the extension of the kingdom of God, recognizes God as a source. Effective partnership in kingdoms ministry recognizes God as a source of our efforts. We will not take the time to go into all of the historical background except to say that the work of Ezra in building the temple was brought to a halt. Because the enemies of the children of Israel and therefore the enemies of God had convinced the king that Ezra had ulterior motives and therefore he brought the project to a halt. Now you have to bear that in mind when you think of Nehemiah trying to reverse that. When you think of Nehemiah starting a new initiative. Because, you see, my brothers and sisters, when we look at the task of building the kingdom of Christ, of taking the word of God to the ends of the earth, it is a formidable task. It is an overwhelming task. And the only reason that you and I dare to even make any kind of effort towards the fulfillment of that task is because we understand that God and God alone is the source of our effectiveness in that task. Don't you ever forget that. So name I heard the tragic situation. That the remnant was demoralised, that the walls were broken down, and the gates were burnt with fire. You see, the remnant was totally vulnerable. The walls that provided protection. The gates that provided protection for them. From the enemy outside. These were broken down. They were removed. They were naked. I want to suggest this morning that the greatest hour of the church is not when we are filled with optimism because of the acceptance of the church. By the wider society. The greatest hour of the church. Is when we have our backs to the wall. And the enemy is pressing in. And we do not feel strong. We feel weak and vulnerable. And we turn to the one who is the only source of our strength. That's the greatest hour of the church when we cry out to the unlimited God. I believe that if there is ever a time in the history of the church of Jesus Christ when we need to adopt that posture, it's now. I believe that if ever there is an hour in the history of the United States, of America, and in the world when we need to be reminded whom the source of our strength is, whom the source of our wisdom is, whom the source of our power is, it's now. And say, Nehemiah, I knew that. And then we witness the intensity of his prayer. He recognized that this was not just a little setback, this was not a little skirmish. Nehemiah recognizes. That he was at war. A war. In which he was going to attempt. To vindicate the name of God. To restore the walls. And restore the gates. For the glory of God. As John Piper who says. We do not know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. It's only when we recognize the intensity of the warfare in which we are engaged, only when we realize that there are two kingdoms and the kingdoms are in conflict And our survival, our victory, our effectiveness is dependent on our turning to the one who is the source of our wisdom. The source of our strength. The source of our power. And Nehemiah didn't call in the engineers. (laughs) He didn't say, I want the military strategists. He didn't call an emergency meeting of the brightest minds. Because there are times, my brothers and sisters, when the brightest minds will not do. There are times when the engineers will not be sufficient to the task. There are times... When the military strategists cannot bring solution to the problem, Nehemiah turns to God. Brokenness of heart. And yet with hope. The scripture says, He sat down. He moaned. And he wept. Don't know why he sat down. Probably sat down because the situation was so intense, he couldn't stand up. You know, every now and again, you get into a situation where your knees give out the buckle, the wake, perhaps... The burden that Nehemiah saw was so great, he could not stand up. He sat down. He mourned. He lost the desire for food, for appetite. He was broken. He was contrite. And he wept. We're living in a day and an age Where weeping is seen as a weakness. And if people weep, some psychologists conclude that there is some kind of psychological flaw in this individual. Well, let let me tell you this. Not only did Nehemiah weep, Jesus looking at Jerusalem and see their wandering hearts and our Jesus wept. Not out of weakness, but out of compassion. my wept. And then he came to God in prayer. It is Lord Tennessee... The British poet Lariat who wrote more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Therefore pray for my soul for what are men better than sheep or goats if knowing God they live not hand or voice both for themselves and those who call them friend. But John Piper puts it better. Listen to what Piper says about prayer. He says prayer Gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. He who gives the power gets the glory. For, says John Piper, prayer safeguards the supremacy. Of God in missions, in kingdom building, while giving to us endless grace for every need. Do you see a prayer like that? It safeguards the supremacy of God in missions. It safeguards the supremacy of God in missions. It is all about God. But it links us to God to unlimited supplies for every task. Hallelujah. Nehemiah comes to God in prayer. Let me tell you at least two characteristics of effective prayer. One is the recognition of the sovereignty of God. The second is a recognition of the sinfulness of our own hearts. There is no use praying to a God who cannot answer. You know, I have things that take place in my life. And I, God has given me wonderful friends. But there are certain things I do not go to my friends for. You know why? Because even though they love me. And even though they have the best of intentions. They cannot answer my prayer, my request. Because they are limited in their ability. My brothers and sisters in Christ, Nehemiah came to the God with whom there are no boundaries and with whom there are no limits. Nehemiah comes to God. He recognizes the sovereignty of God. What God is he coming to? He is coming to the awe-inspiring God. He is coming to the covenant keeping God. He is coming to the great God of heaven and earth. He is coming to the God with whom all things are possible. You come to a God like that? One of my dearest friends went to heaven two years ago. It was Bob Singleton, the pastor. My friends are here. By the way, When I come to preach at Orangewood, I also bring my audience. The pastors are here. They just wanted to see me. To see the fact that I have no hair and what is left is gray. (laughs) Bob Singleton was perhaps my closest friend on planet Earth. He enjoyed my company. We went out to eat most times when he was in town. And oftentimes, after we've had a delicious meal at a special restaurant that he will not allow me to pay for, he will put his hands on my shoulder, he will look me in the eye, he will kiss me in the cheek, and he will say, Walford, I love you. Now, I want you to notice that he did not add the little spiritualized statement that most of us add when we express love to one another. What is that that expression? In the Lord. I love you in the Lord. He wasn't saying, I love you in the Lord. He says, well, I love you. I love you. He taught me many lessons. We were going to ask a friend for some money for the ministry. And he said, I will go with you and ask this friend. And as we got in his car and we were driving downtown, he said, how much are you going to ask this friend for? And I said, you know, Bob, I really don't know. He said, well, you better know. And then he said something that I'll not forget as long as I live. He says, Walford, you need to be careful not to ask him for too little and so insult him. Can you imagine insulting somebody for asking them for too little? I was speaking to Michelle just a while ago and I said, when was the first time I came to this church? And he said, well, that is probably about 12 years ago. And one of the things that I remember that you said is that your God is too small. When we come to God, we do not come with little things. We come with big things, with big requests, because our God is a big God. And Nehemiah says, I'm coming to you, God. Because I know that you're powerful, I know that you're good, I know that you're gracious, I know that you're awesome, I know that you're powerful, and you're the only source of my strength. If I succeed, I will succeed because you enable me to succeed. We live like that. Someone has said most of us as Christians live our lives in the area of our known competence. Competence. We do what we do because we have the education to do it. We do what we do because we have the money to do it. We do what we do because we have the connection that will enable us to do it. We do what we do because we know we have the ability to do it. We never function in such a way that the world looking at us is forced to conclude, it can't be that man, it can't be that woman, it must be God. And then who gets the glory? Say it. God. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Name, I understood that. He appreciated that. Now, you kind of suspect at this time of the sermon that my intention of coming to Orangewood this morning To share God's word with you is not to make you feel comfortable and good in the little things that we attempt. Now I do not wish to denigrate those things. I do not wish to belittle them. But I wish to challenge us, my heart as well, to attempt great things for God. (laughs) Because he is our source, that's what Nehemiah was attempting to do. He was not satisfied with the little things. He was asking God to allow him to re- repair the gates and to repair the walls and restore the glory and the protection for the honor of His name. God, as our resource, Effective partnership has God as our source. Let me hurry here, otherwise, we'll be here for the week. God honoring partnership has the glory of God as its goal. Effective partnership has God as a source, God-honoring partnership, has the glory of God as its goal. The older I live, the longer I serve King Jesus, the more I come into the appreciation that what I had, what what, I do has less to do with me and what I have and more to do with my understanding that the God I serve is jealous after his glory. You know why we're here? We're here because of the glory of God. God did not save us, sent his son into the world to save us primarily, to save us from going hell, to hell. God did not send his son to die on the cross so that we might have a good and easy life. Scripture says that God saves us for the glory of his name. Ephesians chapter 1, for the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, for the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 14, for the glory of his name. God is jealous after his glory. Salvation. Is for the glory of God. Sanctification. Is for the glory of God. Glorification. Is for the glory of God. Why is Jesus coming back? For the glory of God. Scripture says. That Jesus is coming back. To be marveled at. By the saints. To say, so that we might join in saying, what a God. Scripture says that Jesus has saved us so that the heathens might praise him. Nehemiah understood that the building of the walls, the repairing of the gates was all for the glory of God. That your engagement in mine in extending the kingdom of God. Is all for the glory of God. Now if we don't understand that. If we don't appreciate that. And if we don't appropriate that truth. we can never really serve the Lord. In a God honoring way. Remember the first time. I read John Piper's definition of the chief aim of God. Now, those of us who are Presbyterians know, what's the chief aim of man? And two. What's the chief aim of God? Uh Uh-huh. Caught you. We're taking notes here. And we're collecting your your exercises at the end of the... The chief aim of God is to glorify God and to enjoy himself forever. And when I read it the first time, I thought, hmm, then Piper says, if God who is perfect cannot take glory in himself, in whom can he take glory? Have I thought about it that way? The chief aim of God is not to grow Orangewood Presbyterian Church The chief aim of God is not to grow the PCA church. The chief aim of God is not to give success to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. The chief aim of God is not to prosper ministries in action. The chief aim of God is to glorify himself. Unless we understand that. Unless we understand that what God is doing in his world today is bringing a people to the place that he, God, has chosen for his own name. We cannot effectively engage in kingdom building. We would get weary and tired and discouraged and be willing to give up because we don't like the mission pastor because we don't like the church we don't like the missionaries we don't like what is going on but we are infused by a desire by a passion to bring glory to God so we're willing to make sacrifices We're willing to give more than we thought we could give. We're willing to pray more than we thought we can pray. We're willing to go further than we thought we could go. Why? Because you're not doing it to please Walter Thompson. You're not doing it to please Pastor Jeff. You're not doing it to please the pastors of this church. You're doing it for the glory of God. You understand that? It's good stuff. So they walk on your toes, they wipe their feet on you, they say, okay, for Joel's Joel's part alone, man, I'm I'm cutting out of here. But oh, I am filled with a passion for the glory of God. Why am I going to Mexico on a short-term trip for the glory of God? Why am I going to China on a short-term trip for the glory of God. Why am I giving to missions? For the glory of God. Why am I sharing my faith? For the glory of God. Why am I making sacrifices? For the glory of God. Why am I doing what I'm doing? So that my neighbors look at me and say. That man must be crazy. That woman is out of her mind. I'm doing it for the glory of God. And John Piper says. And forgive me. For referring to him so much. I've been chafferized and piperized. My friends say. <laughs> John Piper says this. The deepest reason why our passion for God fuels missions is that God's passion for God fuels missions. Missions is the overflow of our delight In God, for missions is the overflow of God's delight in being God. You understand that? You saw a picture of a church that we're building in Bible St. Vincent that was planted by Jen and myself early in our Christian life. God surprised us and showed us that the work is His, not ours. I've shared with this church before, but some of you are near. Of an experience I had early in my Christian life, I was helping a young man with his biology lessons. His name is Samuel Hazel. We call him Sammy. I turned to him and I said, Sammy, are you a Christian? Wrong question. Didn't know any better. I don't want to share my faith. He said, no, sir. I said, would you like to be a Christian? He said, yes, sir. Would you like to be a Christian now? He said, Yes, sir. And then I panicked. Wasn't supposed to do that. Supposed to argue with me. Let me off the hook. What do you mean? They're yeah, Christians. We're all Christians here. What do you think? I'm born in a pagan country? Here is an interesting step for your witnessing. Somebody had given me a tool entitled How to Lead a Soul to Christ. So I said to him, Sammy, Don't leave. I'll be back. (laughs) Did Carl ever share that with you as a witnessing step? So I ran to the house where I was living, which wasn't far away. I picked up the track and I came back. Miracle of miracles. He was still sitting there. The Holy Spirit was sitting in his lap. He couldn't get up. (laughs) Do we understand that? Do we understand that the work is God's, not ours. So I read the tract. There was a prayer at the end of the tract. I said, "Would you like to say this prayer?" He said, "Yes, sir." He was a yes man." There was a bolt of lightning. There was a thunder roll. There was no the deep expression of emotions. But God has graciously brought Sammy into faith and taught me an important lesson early in my Christian life. The work is His, not mine. Let me tell you where Sammy is. Sammy went to Columbia University in New York, studied medicine, did postgraduate work in surgery, went to Charleston, South Carolina. Today he is the chairman of the Department of Surgery at St. Francis Hospital. He is one of my dearest friends. Supports ministries in action. And when he gives us money, and I said, Sammy, you're giving us money again. He says, man, in the, in the Vincentian lingo, man is my debt. Let me make a statement. I trust that God will etch it in our hearts and our minds. None of us as Christians have earned the right to be less than our best for God. God honoring partnership in kingdom building has as its goal the glory of God. I'm going to close my Bible, which, of course, means nothing. <laughs> I'm wrapping up. John Piper says that our life exists. To spread a passion for the glory of God to all peoples in all the world. Orangewood Presbyterian Church, don't be satisfied with what you're doing here. Don't be satisfied with what you're even doing now. Stretch yourself further because... You're infused with a passion for the glory of God. Our lives exist to telescope the glory of God. An illustration that John Piper uses. He says we're not to use a microscope. Because a microscope make small things look Larger than they are. I remember when I was doing zoology at university, I had a drop of water taken from a pond and I put it on a slide and I'm looking through the microscope and all of a sudden something dashed across my eyes and I jumped back. It looked like a big snake that was out to get me. It was nothing but a microscopic nematode. But the microscope made that which was little big. So John Piper says, don't use a microscope. Use a telescope. Because a telescope gives reality to the true size of the thing you're looking at. I live on the side of a hill that looks at the ocean. Some of you have been down there to visit us. Sometimes we see on the horizon what appears to be a little ship, and we take a telescope and we put it on it. And I said, Oh my, it's a cruise ship! It has five levels out of the water. It is big. It is real big. My brothers and sisters, when we put our telescope upon God, when we come into God's Word and we read about God's exploits, when we examine all of the models throughout history, we realize our God is big. He is real big. How dare we engage in little things for him? How dare we assume that the God who's provided for us all of these years is going to stop providing for us now? So we are limited in what we can give to him. I want you to know, Jen and myself are two of the largest contributors to the organization that I serve. Do you know Why? For the glory of God. Thank you, my brother. Will you follow me around everywhere I go to preach? (laughs) For the glory of God. And I say to my friends, listen, I don't want you to hold back from me any opportunity that exists to bring glory to God. Let me know about it so that if God enables me, I would participate because I am jealous After the glory of my great God, Nehemiah was. God, the king to change his mind. God early furlough. Access to the resources of the forests. Mobilize the priests. Mobilize the women. Mobilize all of the people. And he challenged them. Come and let us build. And then he prayed in verse 11 of chapter 1 Oh God, give us success! Successful partnership has as its goal the fulfillment of the ultimate purpose of God. And we can pray for success from God if that's what we're after someone who said this God can do anything if we take our hands off the glory and Bob Singleton used to say if you don't care who gets the praise you will do exceptional things for God because you understand that God has called us into a partnership with himself in what he God is doing in his world I used to be a lady in Jamaica many years ago, she is dead now, called Miss Lou. And she used to tell stories, particularly to children. She legitimized the Jamaican patois. And Miss Lou became very popular. She was one of Jamaica's heroes. And one of the expressions that she'd use every now and again, she'd say, push up yourself now. Push up yourself now. Make yourself available to God. Stand in the place where God is working. Raise your sails where the wind of God is blowing for the glory, the praise, and the honor of our God. Are you ready? Bow your heads with me. And this morning, in this service, you don't know when, you don't know how, you don't know where, but you say, Brother Walford, I'm making myself available to God and I'm doing so and expressing this by standing to my feet right wherever I am. Will you stand, those of you who would like to do that? You're making yourself available to God. You don't know where, you don't know how, you don't know when. It may be in this church, in Orlando, in Florida, in Nigeria, in China, wherever it is. You say, Lord God, here am I. I want to be used of you to bring glory and honor and praise to your name. The people of God are standing. The angels in heaven Rejoicing. And at this very moment, the angels of heaven are being enlightened as to the plan and the grand design of God. And Jesus, our Savior, is seeing the travail of His soul. And He's satisfied. For God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Should God spare my life and yours? When I come back to Orangewood Presbyterian Church, I want to see every church, every seat, every chair in this church packed out. I want to see people standing on the sides of the church I want to hear of the great exploits that you're engaged in for God. I want to hear how you're giving generously, how you're praying fervently, how you're going gladly. Because this morning, this day, before all of heaven, and your brothers and sisters, you're saying, yes, God, you demand... You desire and you deserve our total and complete allegiance because you're worthy. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, our hearts are deeply humbled today. That you have chosen us from a life of sin and rebellion against you, and that you've called us out of sin, you have taken us, as the prophet has said, out of the miry clay, you have placed our feet on the rock. You've given to us a song in our hearts. We thank you, our Father, that as we come to you in prayer, as we respond to you by standing, that we're not coming as foreigners and strangers. We're coming as a people. The people of God. We thank you for the privilege of prayer. We thank you, God, for the privilege of service. We thank you for this church. We thank you for their involvement in missions. We thank you for the way you've used Orangewood Church over the years, going back there when you brought your man to plant this church from the very beginning until now. We praise you. We pray for all of the missionaries that are supported by this congregation, some of whom are in tough places even now. Prove yourself to be strong to them. Give them victory. Give us victory. We pray that this church will be a lighthouse in Orlando. We pray that this church will be a lighthouse in the United States. And we pray that the light from this church will spread around the world for the glory and the honor of your great name. And Father, to you and to you alone, we shall give all the praise because you alone are worthy. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for answering our prayer. Thank you, God, for loving us when we're good, loving us when we're bad, loving us not because we're worthy, but because you're gracious. It's all about your grace. Underneath us, above us, and around us. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Make us the people of God that you desire for us to be. Trust us forth. Into our families, our workplaces, our cities, our villages, our communities, our world, that men and women might come to praise you, because you're worthy. We pray in the wonderful name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, And all of God's people said, "Amen, praise God." Thank you. David. Thank you.